Blog Talk Radio. Platform. Uh, this is a solutions-oriented podcast and radio show. Uh, each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, welcome to everyone for joining us. Uh, those of you who often come in and listen to some of the great topics we have, today is no exception. Um, so um, welcome back, and to the new listeners we're glad you joined us because we have uh, Dr. Hema Cardona, and she is here uh, to talk to us about a hot topic that is uh, just this morning. I, I was uh, looking at on my on my uh, phone and, and saw on the CNN app uh, an article that was written, and I thought, wow, how uh, timely! Um, but it is the title of the article. Those of you want to go and look. Uh, on the CNN website is uh, the critical race theory panic has white people afraid that they might be complicit in racism is the name of that. And it's just what our topic is about today is critical race theory, what it is and what it is not. So welcome, Hema. Uh, We're so glad to have you. Yeah, thank you, uh, Dr. Perkins. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an, an honor to be here today. Well, we're honored to have you. Um, so I uh, tell us first, so tell us a little bit about um, you and uh, some of the research uh, that you've done. I know you've, you've been very active uh, in, um, in teaching uh, about uh, critical race theory, but your research is, uh, as you've said, is situated in the intersection of critical race theory, critical pedagogy, and Latinx studies in higher education. So we'd love to hear just a little bit about um, what, what are you doing now? Um, and I know you're teaching at a university, but what are you doing now in terms of your research? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I actually want to start by saying that I, um, my introduction to CRT was at Harvard Graduate School of Education. And, and since then, I've been really active in um, in both, I think it's good to make the distinction between um, teaching CRT, right, the, as a, the mm-hmm. analytical framework that by now I think we're all sort of um, uh, have heard that term, right, that it's a sort of a, a framework that derived from critical legal studies. Um, but I think it's also part of my work has been how do we um, employ some of the, the CRT tenants into our pedagogy and how we teach about it. So not necessarily teaching about CRT, the framework, but teaching um, from the CRT tenants and embodying, embodying those in how we dialogue about race, gender, class, right, in, in uh, the topics that we're engaging our students with. And I think that um, distinction is really important to, to make. Um, and then the third aspect, since you mentioned um, my, work, my research work, is that um, it, it has also been utilized, critical a CRT, as a way to employ um, certain methodologies that challenge the master narrative, right? And I think that title that you share is, is interesting because we continue to see um, this, um, like, 
you know, uh, desire, this pressure to maintain these very racist white ideals from mm-hmm. the, the master narrative that tends to other uh, historically marginalized uh, groups. So I mm-hmm. think that that their component is important to understand, too, is that how we employ it in the kind of research that we're producing that centers then what, what are referred to as counter narratives, right? The, mm-hmm. the stories and the narratives of uh, um, historically marginalized groups and centering mm-hmm. those stories that challenge the, the master narrative in, in American society. Sure. Last week, I had a gentleman on that uh, criticized a little bit about the uh, 1619 project, and although mm. that's very different from you know, just situating uh, critical race theory as you know, kind of equal with the uh, 1619 project, but um, I, I, I think about what you said, particularly around um, uh, other narratives, that there are other truths in in the way we have the we have viewed. Um, uh, history and and situations, particularly in this country, um, that need to be told, um, which mm-hmm. leads me to my first question to you, uh, is that I've heard that critical race theory is a lens. Would, is that a fair description, um, that it's a lens in which you interpret history and, and, and politics and other things? Is that true? Yeah, so I want to say a little bit about that, right? We've heard the word lens or the firm, um, framework. Um, I would describe it more as in terms of two specific things. And the second one, I think, is something that I haven't really heard, which is important for all the, the listeners to understand. Yes, it's an analytical framework that originated, began in the 1970s. And it was a response to how there had been sort of a stalling in the civil rights era of the 1960s. And then mm-hmm. the, the, there had been a production of these more kind of subtle forms of racism embedded amongst institutions, specifically like prisons, schools, right now, that were brought to life that we continue to see today, right? That, that, and then the second component, which is, again, um, the what has occurred over time of it being very subtle. And by subtle, I don't mean that it's, you know, it's something that, that even with the, the title of that, um, that article that you saw this morning is that there is this desire to, to hide it, right? To hide that, to think that racism is something from the past, that it no longer mm-hmm. exists, right? That it's no mm-hmm. longer as bad as it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, more than a lens or a framework, it's also a movement. It's a movement of scholars and, act- and community activists that are, that are actively engaging in analyzing and transforming these systems of oppression, right, that are very mm-hmm. much embedded in our everyday um, interactions, right? So mm-hmm. I think that second component is, is, is what I want to include in that it's more than a lens, but it's been a movement of scholars and community activists, right? Mm-hmm. And specifically, um, what I mean by that is that is that it's sort of transcended and expanded beyond like critical legal studies, right? We've seen it in other disciplines um, like education, right? Which is kind of where my work focuses on. We've seen it in sociology and women's studies, right? Um, and to some extent, I think um, I was listening to one of your other podcasts. We also see it in the the bravery of teachers in schools trying to challenge the traditional curriculum that um, is very much centered on that master mm-hmm. narrative, right? Mm-hmm. So we see we're also thinking of educators and teachers in K-12 as, um, as these community activists trying to challenge this very sort of traditional white patriarchal curriculum that gets um, provided to students, right? And by challenging that is centering and honoring um, both historical pro- um, processes 
based on racism, but also current situations, right? And some mm-hmm. of the experiences that students are currently navigating. Mm. I see. I see. Well, you know, those all sound, that's, that sounds very complicated, you know, and, and not to say that our students, particularly in high school or other places, um, uh, can't grasp those concepts, but it is complicated. I know um, I've heard and read where um, I guess it, it originated in from a legal training perspective, and so there were it was introduced at a law school, and then went it, it kind of spread from there, and and was studied and investigated uh, by sociologists such as yourself and others. Um, but I, I'm, it doesn't sound like to me it is something that is very prevalent in high school curricula. Um, what, what do you know about that? Is it is it a is it a area that you've seen is growing in? Because there's a lot of concern that it's 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 influencing children. It's unduly influencing children, uh, particularly white children, to hate themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll answer that question with what has been very prevalent in K to twelve mm-hmm. schools, which has been um, ethnic studies, mm-hmm. cur- ethnic studies curriculums, and also um, 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 uh, Chicana, Chicana X, Latin X um, um, curriculums that really center um, the stories, right? Those those stories um, and histories that are prevalent to the experiences of black and brown youth, right? Sure. Um, the interesting thing, which I address in, 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 my, in my publication, is that um, those same ethnic studies programs were attacked in a very similar way that we see, um, you know, CRT being attacked right now, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That it's anti-American, that right. um, it's making uh, white students um, feel bad about their themselves, right? So it's a very similar narrative of like, oh, it's um, going to turn us in, against each other, right? So that is something that has existed. Um, and studies show that actually um, uh, it does not do that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Ethnic studies mm-hmm. curriculums do not do that, do not put, uh, you know, children, kids um, against each other, but actually provides a more truthful and nuanced history um, that um, allows students to feel a sense of inclusivity in, in the classroom, right? So knowing that, um, it's interesting because I think the, what's being currently talked about is not even CRT, the lens, the framework, right, uh, that a lot of us are exposed to in, sure. um, in graduate school. But we're, it's, it's this fear of talking about racism in a way that is not watered down, in a way that is going to make white people uncomfortable, right? Which is sure. the point. It should. Right. It should make right. white people uncomfortable. Um, I think that this question of uncomfortableness is interesting because as people of color, especially black and brown, we are already navigating a world that is uncomfortable for us, mm-hmm. that is unsafe mm-hmm. for us, right? Mm-hmm. So realizing that, um, I think is also important, right, that, that these curriculums are meant to create greater spaces of inclusivity where stu- students can see themselves in the curriculum, right? Sure. And that's important, sure. right, that they can be able to connect to what is being taught by their, by their teachers. Sure, sure. And, there, and so there, a lot of people uh, have jumped into the fray and talking about it and criticizing um, mm-hmm. the, the theory. Uh, I've heard kind of counter arguments 
where there there have been so many people on the news and otherwise who have had who have made statements about uh, critical race theory. But I, I, before I, I go to a clip I want to share, um, I was just thinking about the idea that systemic racism and talking about systemic racism is is threatening, certainly threatening to the existence of it, but, and that's, and as you said earlier, that's the point is that it is, it is going to make people uncomfortable to talk about systemic racism, whereas people have benefited from a system that's unfairly uh, slanted in their favor. Uh, And, and so the idea that we, we expose that and say uh, much of who you are and much of how you acquired the things that you have had nothing to do with merit or little to do or not as much to do with, with, with merit as, as you have, have purported, but that it had as much to do with a, a system of discrimination. There are many who don't want to talk about that portion of it, but want to talk about uh, that we have recovered and that there is no longer systemic racism uh, in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that one before you show the clip, one um, aspect that I would add to that to that is that um, along with the banning of talking about uh, racism, I'm also witnessing that it's a banning of talking about um, gender. Of, about you know um, one's uh, sexual orientation, I think that's also important to include in the conversation mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's sort of this surveillance and this control of what teachers, not just teachers, but what students maybe want to talk about, right? Because in my experience, right. teaching is that it's not just about sort of what I bring into the classroom as an educator, but there are certain aspects that students want to talk about, right? Because they're experiencing it in the everyday world, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's also important mm-hmm. to know that that taking the input of what, what's important to students to talk about, right, as, as they're um, developing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I want to share with you and get your reaction um, uh, to this clip uh, from Senator Ted Cruz from Texas um, um, speaking to a group of, of citizens that uh, uh, his views on uh, critical race theory. Mm. Critical race theory states that same Marxist concept, except it replaces class with race. And it says all of America and all of the world is a battle between the races. Critical race theory says every white person is a racist. Critical race theory says America is fundamentally racist and irredeemably racist. Critical race theory seeks to turn us against each other, and if someone has a different color skin, seeks to make us hate that person. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, as a Christian, and as an American. I love my brothers and sisters, whatever skin color you are, whatever ethnicity you are, whatever faith you are, whatever creed you are, we are commanded to love, period, the end. So, I, I just want to have you respond to that. I know much <laughs> of it, the beginning, uh, pretty strong condemnation of uh, critical race theory. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of sums, <laughs> sums up what we've been hearing now, which is uh, the phrase that uh, CRT is, you know, quote unquote, racist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. It, <laughs> it reminds me of the, you know, the discourse around um, reverse racism, right? That if we mm-hmm. talk about it, we're actually, um, by talking about racism, we're actually perpetuating it, right? That there's this, by talking about it, we're, we're promoting hate, right? Um, but rather, it's like, it's interesting because there's a lot of sort of, um, um, very egocentric um, anger <laughs> that I hear in, the, in that speech in that clip, right? That is very much centered on privilege, right? When, mm-hmm. Because the the to be a racist is to be able to have the power to create systems and policies and curriculums that um, reproduce social inequalities, right? Mm-hmm. Versus being prejudiced of having certain beliefs, right? So there's a lot of beliefs that are coming across in, in, that, in that clip when he's speaking about what he believes CRT to be, right? What he mm-hmm. believes racism to be. But you need power. You need power mm-hmm. in order to, to, to be a racist, in order to create systems that systematically oppress people, um, um, you know, that are maintained, uh, what's interesting is that they're maintained by these very prejudiced ideals, right? And sometimes it's just these opinions without people being well-educated and understanding what CRT really is, rather than Mm -hmm. what, you know, what he mentions of it being racist, it's actually a response to racism. It's a response Mm -hmm. to be able to dismantle um, uh, white supremacy and patriarchy that are maintaining um, racist practices and institutions. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's the, that's that's my response to that, right? <laughs> that yeah. um, it's it, it's really important for us to be well educated uh, and understand what it really means to to one be racist and and to to be able to maintain racist structures, right? And the and mm-hmm. the the word complicity um, comes back to me again, right? And how um, um, education serves it should be a place where we are um, uh, creating um, people who are being critical rather than being complicit in maintaining mm-hmm. the system, right? Mm-hmm. Because what I hear there is that people who might follow along with him with that, with those opinions and those beliefs um, is that they will inherently be complicit to maintaining mm-hmm. racism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the, the danger in, in believing without first educating oneself and in, in being uh, uh, critically aware of, of what, um, not just what CRT is, but what it means to have transformative dialogues that are dismantling racist practices, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. we fall into the trap of being complicit in the system. Sure, sure. So, you know, I, I hear a lot when people say that, you know, one of our goals um, in, in, in people involved in the research or in the activism uh, often use the phrase you just did is that the goal is to dismantle uh, systemic racism. Uh, tell me from your perspective, what does that look like? What does it look like mm. to dismantle systemic racism? What, what mm-hmm. from, from an activist perspective, what kinds of work is that? From an academic perspective, what kind of work is that? Mm, that's an excellent question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think for me, and I'm going to respond first with like my role as uh, hopefully a lot of educators are listening mm-hmm. in, right, that um, we create like these educational spaces where um, students can sort of go through this self-actualization, like this reflection of like how they are um, 
either um, oppressed in society, right? And I think that brings a lot of empowerment and sense of understanding of how one might be oppressed, but also how one might be complicit, right? How one might be perpetuating both directly or indirectly um, through everyday interactions, through um, how we, you know, how we might engage with family members, how we might engage with coworkers, right? That, that they, there is a level of critically understanding how one might be um, um, uh, sort of playing a role, right, in, uh, in maintaining that. And I think mm-hmm. that, that creating spaces where people are allowed to really reflect and think about, um, about those two things is important to how we're going to dismantle anything, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think what we're currently witnessing is a lot of sort of this white rage or, uh, um, mm-hmm. without really um, people just sitting down to maybe think about how they might be complicit. In, in mm-hmm. some of these systems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really, it's really humbling, and it's something that I think through my role as an educator, I really um, uh, encourage students to do, right? And it can be very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. It can be, um, but it, it requires obviously a choice for us to be able to um, to do that, right? To be right. able to really reflect on, on how we might be sort of perpetuating and maintaining some of these through our everyday practices. Um, and it requires a challenge Challenging our our views and our ideas that we believe to be inherent, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's mm-hmm. one of the issues that that there is a strong belief of like that this is the truth. When we should really be be listening and hearing to the everyday experiences um, of violence and, and, and that people are ex, are experiencing in, in the everyday. Because sometimes we speak from a place of not really understanding whether or not not having lived those experiences or not understanding what those are. And we speak from a place of like, this is the inherent truth. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a a place you're speaking from a place of privilege, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right. Um, That one does not have to really um, navigate the world constantly thinking what it, uh, what it means to be a black person, what it means to be transgender, what it means to be a woman of color, right? That part of that means that we're always going to have this um, way of navigating and uh, navigating the world in order to, to, to feel safe, right? Mm-hmm. That's something that privileged individuals don't have to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's the first aspect in terms of dismantling, right? That it really um, comes down to sort of not just an individual place, but also it can happen collectively, right, in, in, in dialoguing about these, these issues um, collectively. But it really requires talking about it rather than um, just going out and, and claiming that this is the truth and this is what you should inherently believe. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it, having those dialogues is the first part of, um, of dismantling it. And um, obviously, you know, at a sort of more, um, at, the, at a larger level in terms of thinking about um, activist work or um, or research that's being conducted is um, once there is sort of um, uh, a dialogue, whether it's individual and or collective, then um, producing and creating um, research and even or curriculum, right, that is um, that is moving towards dismantling. And part of that mm-hmm. dismantling is, again, having those critical conversations about how racism may be um, sort of in more subtle ways that continues to be perpetuated and maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, the second aspect, but it really comes down to um, challenging what we believe to be inherent truths. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that you just said 
uh, resonated with me in in conversations that often happen uh, that the questions that are posed around uh, what does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be um, Hispanic or um, uh, other? And and there are, there's a lot of fear around those conversations mm-hmm. because you're actually mostly talking about, pe- about people's lived experiences that aren't pretty. And yeah. and I think about I think about how people have responded. You know, I had a research project some years ago where I was doing a national study of uh, urban student experiences in classrooms around the United States. And um, one one section had to do with racial self-concept. And, mm. and, and there were maybe five or six questions that were non-intrusive questions, just uh, how they were experiencing race, uh, uh, questions like, uh, I, there, I have seen children treated differently because of their race. Um, just, just mm. what they had observed. Interestingly, I there was a there was one city where um, I received a phone call from like the the local news station, and and there were a group of parents that were mm. upset and went to the school to you know protest, so to speak. Um, the, the the being allowed to um, to use this research in the in their schools, and mm. and I, I never will forget the um, the reporter asking the question to me over the phone. Um, so, don't you think? And this was among students that were sixth, seventh, eighth graders. Don't you think mm. it's too young for them to be uh, talking about race? Um, isn't mm. this introducing racism to the children? And and so, um, you know, all the research also supports. Um, by that age, seventh and eighth mm. grade, sixth and eighth grade, <laughs> kids are very well aware of racial constructs, right? And mm. and so so I you know I know your your background is not psychology, but I just I can't help but wonder what where <laughs> that fear, why that fear of the, just the conversation around race. Mm, yeah, that's so interesting you share that, that story because I have a similar story where I was uh, put on the spot and asked, like, um, when, it, when is it a proper age to, um, to talk about uh, racism is a question that I was asked. Um, <laughs> my response at the time, you know, was that if, if kids, you know, whatever age they might be, if kids are... Um, um, sort of producing or harming or, you know, another child based on the basis of race or gender or, um, or class, whether, you know, it's through like a, a sort of microaggressions or bullying. Um, mm-hmm. if, they're, if they have the capacity to do that, then why should we not sit down and have a dialogue about that? That's right. That's right? right. Rather than, than putting it under the rug and pretending like, oh, they're too little, they're too small to talk about it, let's this is this is ignore that right mm-hmm. when that actually produces more harm for everyone including mm-hmm. those who witnessed the, the the incident right it produces more harm because it's saying sending this sort of um message indirectly right very silently that um one it's okay to do that you're you're going to get away with it you know they, i have a four-year-old right now and they're mm-hmm. at that age he's very smart right they know mm-hmm. what they can get away with right um so 
I think that it's sending that message and it's also saying that it's something that it's okay to do and we don't talk about it, right? That there's a silencing that happens around that, that we teach our children at a very young age as mm-hmm. adults because we're the ones doing the behavior of like, oh, they're too little to talk about it, even after maybe they've done something, right? Yes, so I think it's something has happened that is harming another child on a basis of race, class, gender, then um, if they have the capacity to do that, then they should have the capacity to sit down and, under- and understand how that was not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So re- yeah, so it reminded me of that because it's interesting that <laughs> I've been asked that as as well, right? And that was my, my response at the time. And I think to some extent, um, I uh, in witnessing what's happening now with a lot of a lot of them being like parents, right, going on and marching and 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 trying to av- avoid that that the, um, whether it's CRT or some aspect of how we talk about race in schools is um, quote unquote banned is that they that they're they're stepping away from their responsibility as adults to talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's our responsibility for our children, for our students, for the next generation, for us to do something a little bit more mature and more responsible on our end, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that what I'm seeing is that I'm seeing um, adults (laughs) behave in this very childish way, right, That, that rather we should be responding in a more brave way, right? Mm-hmm. That, hey, maybe there are some issues that we need to address. Let's sit down and talk about it as adults, right? Because this is our, our children who, who are the next generation um, that we want them not to hate each other. We want them not to perpetuate uh, violence, um, but we want them to be able to really understand um, these uh, systemic issues in order for them to not be perpetuated in mm-hmm. the future. Excellent. Absolutely. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I know that uh, we, we are just about out of time, but I did want to ask you, um, I, I, I didn't get a chance uh, to read your, um, um, your, your piece in the Berkeley Review of Education about uh, emotional labor of race and gender mm. dialogue. I know that your, you know, this yours was situated in higher education, but I'd love for you just to take just a, a few minutes, if you could, and and talk a little bit about um, your your position on um, this this phrase uh, this this that you've coined uh, in the emotional labor. Um, mm-hmm. You care to share just a little bit about that? Yeah, wonderful. I can definitely do that. Um, actually, it's um, uh, there was another part that you mentioned about um, the study that you conducted, and mm-hmm. it was uh, my response is in reference to that right of um, of a lot of these um, uh, vulnerable conversations about what it means to be black, what it means to be Latinx, what it means to be undocumented, etc. Um, happen in these really enclosed space, right? And for me, mm-hmm. it's happened in office hours for me it's happened you know through um through research for me it's happened through my students of creating a a space for them where they can feel comfortable sharing those stories right but i want to emphasize that part of what i'm talking about in that or arguing in that article is that those conversations are happening but there is a legitimate fear from people of color to to uh, sort of 
extend them past those enclosed spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Because we feel very unsafe in this society. Like, and even just hearing um, uh, the clip that you showed or even the, these titles that I'm seeing in these articles of CRT being racist, um, like, of course I would feel unsafe, right? If there's mm -hmm. this whole discourse happening currently, like how I would not feel safe sharing um, um, experiences and uh, or putting uh, others, you know, in that position to share their, mm -hmm. share their vulnerable experiences. But uh, what I can say is in, in that article, I talk about how we're currently um, centering, and it's funny because I, I was reflecting back in 2020 at the end of, of that year, I mean, it kind of predicted what's happening now, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is that um, white people and men, white men specifically, are um, sort of, um, you know, uh, are very afraid of the abilities, of whether it's a CRT framework, whether it's like talking very like um, critically about race and gender, they're afraid of the ability that that has to, to um, challenge their positions of privilege. Right. And that's yeah. what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're hearing, that they are, are very afraid of that. So by any means necessary, they're trying to ban, they're trying to censor, they're trying to write. So that's what um, I wrote about back then. But the other component of it, right, which is uh, these these uh, dialogues that take place behind closed doors, is that there is sort of um, that as people of color specifically black and brown youth and students, they're very, when they center their emotions, whether it's the legitimate righteous anger or the pain of what it means to experience racism in, in society, that those emotions are very important to mm -hmm. how they are critical of society, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there, I talk about my teaching experience, but in more in my next publication, I will talk about how it's important to center emotions, emotions of um, black and brown students in how we um, produce certain um, um, methodologies and certain research that they should serve as legitimate forms of knowledge. And I think that's mm -hmm. the gist of of, it, of uh, emotions serving as a form of knowledge of understanding the persistence and the maintenance of this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and part of that means steering away from the emotions of the angry white man, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And not placing too much attention on that, but rather situating our work, our practice, our research on the emotions um, of black and brown youth and how they mm -hmm. navigate these sometimes very painful, right? And gradually so, uh, the anger that comes across from that as well of, of what, it, what it means to be oppressed. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something that I think is very important. But again, it's a question of like, um, uh, of safety, right? Yes. And that, yes. that um, we are currently, it's funny because like that the, that white people are able to sort of show how angry they are about, mm -hmm. about the mm -hmm. possibility of their, of a questioning of their privilege, right? That they have the privilege to even show that emotion. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. And that we don't hold we don't hold the same privilege because then we're categorized as, quote, the black Latina, the black, the, the angry black yes, woman. Yes, angry. That, right. Mm -hmm. That we're categorized in these sort of very um, controlling images. Right. And that, yes. that, that's also something that's very historically based. Right. So sure, it's something sure. for uh, listeners to understand that there's a privilege in even being angry about what we should or should not be teaching our, 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 our kids in school. Absolutely, and I, I, 
out of time. We we could just go on and on, and I'm sure share, especially from uh, being members of the academy, uh, could share a lot of stories about uh, um, being uh, being categorized and mm-hmm. and seen as one way or another when we express ourselves in. Mm-hmm ways, um, just even in in ways that are not uh, angry, but just disagreement mm-hmm. about a, a, mm-hmm. a topic mm-hmm. and 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 not being uh, seen as anything other than uh, emotional creatures anyway. But mm. uh, uh, thank you so much for for sharing that. Um, really appreciate it. I know we're out of time, um, but I, I do uh, uh, appreciate everything that we've we got a chance to uh, cover today. I uh, wish we had more time, but um, I would, I'm going to follow and keep looking at uh, the pieces you have coming out, and uh, just look forward to uh, hopefully getting a chance uh, in the near future. And so, um, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in, and uh, until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.